Chapter Twenty Seven of Betty Baird's Golden Year by Anna Hamlin Weichel. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Holly Jensen. Chapter Twenty Seven: Lois's Wedding. In carriages, on foot through the shady paths, and on horseback, even in the pillion fashion of old, came the guests from the surrounding country to Lois's wedding the little ancient cruciform church peeped out through its mantle of dark english ivy at the golden sunlit world its silent interior was dim and cool yet glowed here and there with bits of color from the rich stained glass the golden cross and candlesticks and the richly embroidered altar cloth the sacristan an old family friend had seen to it that the venerable church had been swept and dusted until scarcely a moat swam in the rays of sunshine that filtered into the chancel and no hand but his had been allowed to arrange the flowers on the gradine and to bank the fragrant white roses and palms at the sides of the altar as the guests entered they stepped on a marble floor that might well have reminded them of the lines from george herbert mark you the floor that square and speckled stone which looks so firm and strong is patience and the other black and grave wherewith each one is checkered all along humility while they were being seated the vested choir led by a boy soprano with a voice of thrilling beauty sang oh for the wings of a dove lois leaning on her father's arm passed down the garlanded aisle and met dunmore before the altar as she stood there at his side before the venerable clergyman who had baptized her and instructed her for confirmation her veil of tall and old lace falling over her simple yet rich satin gown it seemed to betty that there never could have been a more beautiful bride on the return from the church lois and dunmore alighted from their carriage at the entrance gateway and walked up the shadowed road between the lines of children whom lois had known from their infancy they sang their songs of love and good wishes and strewed the path of the bride with fresh wildflowers and roses symbolically thornless to the rambling old house that had looked down the long avenue at many a brilliant wedding party walking up to its welcoming doors yes it had looked down that avenue for more than two centuries and now came lois bird and of all the brides the old house had smiled upon none had been fairer or more beloved the wedding breakfast passed all too quickly and before the guests were aware of anything unusual betty protested that it was magic mr and mrs lane had disappeared there were great hurryings to and fro and gay searching parties but all of no avail the bride and groom had stolen away on their wedding journey leaving the rice and the old shoes and all the well wishes on the hands of the gay tricksters betty and minturn stood by the fountain watching the doves dip into its water then whisk out shaking from their iridescent necks and snowy wings the tiny drops that splashed merrily back again after lois's departure betty had hurried to this pleasant spot to be alone and minturn walking through the many interwinding paths had been led there by a glimpse of betty's white gown as she ran down the steps to the flower garden 
They did not talk much, but musingly watched the dainty birds, turning easily from them to speak of the fragrance of the jessamine nearby, of the perfect day with its cloudless sky, of the bride and bridegroom and the church, of the doves fluttering in mid-air, whose wings seemed to Betty's fancy like the petals of the water-lilies that swam in the pool. "'By the way, Miss Betty, your Scottish castle is to be sold,' Minturn remarked, with an airy ease and a spontaneity that his eyes somehow belied. "'Oh!' cried Betty impulsively, straightening up with a movement of surprise. "'Then my poor eagles will be wanderers again!' "'It's too bad,' deplored Minturn. "'Bad,' repeated Betty. "'Isn't there something we can do to prevent those eagles being driven from their immemorial crags?' Minturn was silent. "'How did you learn that it was to be sold?' persisted Betty, determined to stick to the safe subject of the eagles. "'I received a letter from a friend who lives not far from there.' He said the castle was about to be offered for sale by the present owner. I wrote to him for more information, and a day or two ago I received this. Minturn handed her an agent's list of estates for sale. Betty took the pamphlet gaily. There is the castle, and there are the crags. Let me see those immemorial crags, he demanded laughingly. He glanced at the picture as Betty held it out to him but his eyes wandered from it to her bright, winsome face. "'Wouldn't you think they'd have some eagles flying around?' she queried, studying the view intently, perhaps too intently to be altogether convincing. "'Maybe they don't feel at liberty to throw in the eagles, since they belong only to the bairds,' he suggested, smiling. "'Those poor eagles! After a fidelity of five centuries!' she quoted from the wordy legend, to be turned out into a cold and unfriendly world at a moment's notice. I wonder where they will go. Perhaps they'll come to America. I suppose we couldn't call on the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals to take this in hand, could we? she suggested. Minturn made no reply. As they had seemed apart from the rest of the world when riding back to the manor on the night of the fire, so it was now, in this summer's day, in this old southern garden. The day was warm and still, the air heavy with the sweet odors of flowers, the mazarine blue sky above them, the sun scarcely breaking through the trellised roses and jessamines that formed a screen at the back of the marble seat, where they too sat alone by the fountain. I must talk about the eagles. Betty found herself thinking. She feared she had said it aloud. Now surely, she began, with heightened color, her eyes fastened on the picture as if her life depended on it. You should be able, I mean, oh, why don't you? Now here is this castle, beloved by the eagles and rightfully theirs, and no one is willing to lift a finger to save it for them. Betty glanced up, then turned again to the picture, while the color fled from her face. Minturn bent close to her. There's a way to save the eagles, Betty. Her head went lower, while her cheeks crimsoned from his look, his words, and the intensity of his low tone. 
Minturn clasped the picture and the hand that held it in both of his. Betty, I... Cousin Betty, it's time to get ready for the train, Aunt Helen says, broke in Edwina's voice. Why, Cousin Betty, what makes you so red? Without replying, Betty sprang to her feet and made her way to the house at a pace that compelled Edwina to trot and even Minturn to lengthen his long strides. Were you cross at Mr. Minturn, Cousin Betty? whispered Edwina as they hurried along. But Betty only shook her head. A week or so later, as Betty was tucking Edwina into bed, she leaned over and kissed her good night. Then she kissed her again, and once more began the tucking in of the bedclothes, though there was not a loophole left to close. Evidently, Betty had something on her mind, something to tell little Edwina, which she found hard to say. Kneeling by the bedside and burying her cheek in the pillow, she answered that unanswered question of Edwina's, which the child had propounded by the fountain in Maryland, by asking another, Edwina, would you like to have a new cousin? The little arms flew from the carefully tucked in covers. Cousin Betty! She pulled Betty's head down close, asking in a delighted whisper, Cousin Lawrence? Betty sprang up, laughing and blushing furiously. Gracious, Edwina, you're a witch. How did you guess? Yes, she added as she hurried towards the door. It was Cousin Lawrence at first sight. End of chapter 27 Recording by Holly Jensen End of Betty Baird's Golden Year by Anna Hamlin Weichel